0: Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadEx show with New York
1: Times best-selling author and Inc 500 entrepreneur Kevin Cruz.
0: How can you find a career that gives you purpose, meaning, and a sense of pride? Hello everyone, Kevin Cruz here, and in just a minute we're going to talk about navigating your career. But first, Don't forget to visit LeadX.org, where you'll find actionable advice from the world's top leadership experts. Our guest today is the CEO and co-founder of The Muse, a career platform used by over 50 million millennials and others to research, explore, and apply to great companies. She's spoken at MIT and Harvard. You've seen her on Today and CNN. In fact, she's been everywhere <laughs> lately. She's been named to Forbes 30 Under 30 in Media, and her new book is The Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. Our guest is Katherine Minshew. Katherine, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Oh, it's it's really our pleasure. And we're going to talk about the new rules of work in just a minute, but first... Will you share with our listeners a time when you actually failed at something, maybe early in your career, and what did you learn from it?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, You know, I think that uh, the early days of the muse were, sometimes they felt like one big string of failures after another. Um, You know, I guess the time that comes to mind is – So when I started The Muse initially, I was, you know, obviously like any young entrepreneur, you're you're hugely passionate about this idea. You see the big vision and you go out there to try and recruit team members to build an audience and to find investors in my case. And, you know, and, and you hope that everyone else sees it as well. And uh, we we had a you know fairly straightforward time recruiting some great people. We were able to build up a, an audience of you know twenty thousand, and then and then hundred thousand, and then two hundred and fifty thousand users um, fairly quickly. But fundraising initially was a giant string of failure. And I will tell you, when I first started pitching investors, I racked up hundred and forty-eight no's.
0: Oh wow. Yes.
1: And I know this because I kept a spreadsheet of every single investor, you know, who would introduce me, where were they located, what type of investor were there, anything else about them that might be helpful. And I keep them, you know, active, uh, not right now, definitely not. And by the time we ended up um, kind of turning things around, which was, was started when we got into Y Combinator in late 2011, I literally racked up 148 no's. And so there were days and we talk about failure when I would wake up and have a breakfast meeting where I got to know a 10:30 no. a.m. coffee, no. A lunch meeting, no thanks, not for us. A 2 p.m. coffee, this is a terrible idea. Go back and get another job. You know, 4 p.m. Uh, nice thing, but you know, you really seem too nice to be an entrepreneur. A 6 p.m. Like I don't think it's for us. And just again and again, and I would go back to my team who was working so hard, and think to myself, I cannot, I cannot believe I am failing them like this. And uh, you know, I won't go into all the gory details, but um, you know, we had some pretty tough times and, and some moments in one, one particular case where somebody said you know I'll write you a check right now if you um, kind of change this thing that was really core to the, the mission and the vision and, and the concept of the muse and we had to say no but um, those were not easy times and I think you know they do though they make you tough for when you do eventually figure things out.
0: I mean, that's, that's really amazing. It's sort of like these classic stories where we hear about, you know, famous writers that were rejected by, you know, 148 publishers or something before the great, you know, novel comes out. And you had more no's in a single day than most people are willing to encounter, you know, over a longer period of time. So I guess it's a big message about resilience. Share with us, you ended up with a very successful round or two since then, right?
1: Mm -hmm. We did. Um, You know, we, it's funny, the seed round took a long time to come together. And uh, we ultimately ended up closing $1.2 million in September of 2012. So over a year after I started fundraising, although we do get get a few yeses, you know, sprinkled along the way, but um, that was even, we have had more no's than 148. That was just 2011. <laughs> but um, our Series A, you know, we raised 10 million and then we raised another 16 last year. So we were able to, you know, to to really get to a different place. I think for us, it was interesting because when the news was small, a lot of the people that I had to pitch for funding didn't uh, empathize with the pain point that we were solving for. Right? Mm-hmm. You think about the typical investor. In many cases, they had a you know fairly well-off upbringing. I'm you know I'm, I'm right. grossly sort of stereotyping here, but right. in general, a lot of them came from a, a fairly comfortable childhood. They went to a really top school. They had a very well-built network. They went to private equity or McKinsey or Goldman, and they ended up in venture. And those people are not necessarily the ones that looked at the muse and said, "Yes, this is necessary. This is needed. This product must exist in the world." And so we had to find those you know few true believers. Early early on once we got to a certain stage of the data the metrics the success was able to get uh, you know a larger group of people on board but i think early on it can be really hard to find those uh, those true believers
0: Yeah, that's a great, great takeaway. Persistence till you find those true believers and then let the data tell the tell the story from there. And Catherine, your new book again is The New Rules of Work, the modern playbook for navigating your career. And and it really is a playbook. I mean, I'm I wish uh, my listeners could see it. I'm holding my hand. I mean, this thing is a thick playbook with, you know, A to Z advice on whether you're, you're trying to develop your personal brand or what to do in an interview or how to be productive when you land your dream job. So there's a lot here. Uh, Catherine, what's one big piece of advice you're hoping people take away from the book?
1: Yeah, if I had to summarize the book into one sentence, it would be that you are in control and you need to take charge of your career. And then we spend the rest of the book telling you a, a little bit more about how to do that. But I think that you know one of the big shifts we see in the workplace is this movement from uh, a world, you know, the sort of old way of doing things, where companies uh, provided a lot of training, they set out clear pathways for people, they said achieve X, Y, and Z, and you'll get a promotion, and then in a few years you'll get another promotion. And there was this linear um, sort of path with you know different diversions and, and choices that. It was very straightforward, and you generally needed to do what was asked of you, and you'd move along throughout your career. And that is no longer the case. And in fact, what we're seeing via the muse, via our community of of 50 million people now who use the site, is that the most successful people, they're taking control. They're, They're taking agency and saying, all right, who am I, what skills do I have, and what do I want to do? And so throughout the book, you know, we put in exercises and templates and work pages and, you know, as much as we could to really give people that tactical guide to how do you figure out what exactly you want and then go and get it.
0: Love that. It's everyone becoming sort of the CEO of of her own career and not, like I said, the times have changed. It's not like um, uh, you get wed to one company and can rely on that. So we need to be in, in control So when it comes to generational differences in the workplace, now, Catherine, a few months before we've recorded this, Simon Sinek's video, kind of a rant on the millennial generation went viral, millions of views. Personally, I think the millennial generation gets a bad rap, but it is sort of top of mind. So what are your own thoughts on how are millennials different or not so different than the generations that came before them? Um, And we've got a lot of managers out there. So, you know, what's your advice if, if I'm trying to lead a team of millennials?
1: Yeah. um, So I'll start with the generational differences. And I'm with you in that I think a lot of the angst and Headlines and sound bites about millennials have been a bit overblown. In fact, I love uh, there's this great um, article that uh, talks about you know these these young kids they're demanding they're entitled they do this they do that. It's from you know 1976. Like every <laughs> every generation has looked at the generation that's entering the workforce and said who are these kids? You know it's, it's the equivalent of like get off my lawn. Right. <laughs> um, I think it's a classic. And so you know there's also a great quote by. Uh, I believe it's Laszlo Bach, who used to run HR at Google, and he says something like, I'm going I'm to mangle it a bit, but it's something like, you know, millennials are simply asking for the things that everybody else wants. I do think that is true, is that millennials are, in many cases, raised at a time when they were expected to give their opinions and have those opinions uh, taken into account in some way. Many of them were told from an early age, you know, you can be whatever you want to be, study hard, work hard, you'll have these opportunities open to you. And so in many cases, when they're coming into the workforce, which, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of elements of the sort of modern workplace haven't changed substantially in 50 years. Clocking in, clocking out, some of the ways in which communication is expected, and I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of these newer entrants to the workforce are looking at this and saying, "Well, that that doesn't make sense." And it's been fascinating for me as we built the Muse. I don't know if you know this, but we originally were targeting millennials yes. uh, very explicitly, and in fact. Um, We found that, you know, yes, millennials are our largest demographic at the Muse, but they're followed very closely by Gen X, by boomers, people of all ages who are saying, I also want a more human workplace, um, a a business um, and a sort of employer-employee relationship that's based on mutual respect and on better communication and all these things that at their root, I think, are very human desires. And so, you know, yes, I think millennials... Um, are behaving in occasionally slightly differently, but I don't think it's something that's unique or sort of special to these people. I think that it's that the newest generation in the workforce always pushes the boundaries and asks certain questions and and insists that certain things are changed. And I think that's great. I think it makes the workplace better for all of us. And of course, there are bad apples. Um, we would get that in, in every generation. And you know, and, and I think that. Um, it's, uh, it's often comforting to think that someone that is frustrating you is, is emblematic of a broader trend rather than just, you know, perhaps a person that, um, that is very different. But, you know, in general, I'm, I'm much more optimistic than pessimistic about the generations working together. And I think that many of these trends that are being ascribed to millennials Um, particularly around more flexible work hours and an understanding that employees are humans with full and complex lives and needs and desires and that that by, as a manager, understanding that you can have a much more productive um, and effective relationship. I think those are really positive trends and I'm excited to see the, the rules of the workplace continue to develop.
0: Yeah, I I think that's that's great. And everybody should be excited to see, you know, how things continue uh, to develop. I Catherine do a lot of work in the area of employee engagement. And so I get asked from the audience members about managing millennials and sometimes asked to to write about it. And, you know, I hear and see those uh, stereotypes. But any time I see the data, the survey data over what people want at work, there is no generational difference. If anything, The only thing that spikes on uh, on millennials is a desire for for growth and development. But that's not generational. It's because of their age. I mean, anybody that's in their 20s or early 30s is probably going to be a little more interested in growing and developing than someone who's 60 and maybe looking forward to retirement. So I, I don't see any truth in the data at all. Um, I think, again, as to your point, I mean, technology has changed a lot and and is exponentially changing. And so for those who are not able to keep up with that, I mean, maybe maybe they are having a harder time uh, than the, the younger generation, but uh, it's definitely overblown. And Catherine, the the Muse, I can just tell you're very modest in, in, from the way you're talking about your 148 no's to to what you've accomplished. The Muse has won, I mean, several awards for fast growth. You mentioned you have over 50 million, you know, unique visitors. So for the entrepreneurs and others in the audience, I mean, what's been your secret? Because you said really, I mean, you were getting, you know, after a few months, already a hundred thousand, you know, visitors and then millions. And eventually the data couldn't be ignored by the investor community and you know you're not the only uh you know website or digital media site that's trying to do this so what's been the secret to your fast growth
1: you know i (laughs) it's so funny i um it's really if there were a single silver bullet then then anyone could do it i will (laughs) say there's sort of probably three things uh one the first being persistence um and I, i mean that this is you know probably no surprise given the 148 no's, but I, um, I feel like again and again and again, especially in the early days, but honestly, even, you know, over the last few years as we've been growing and, and, you know, winning these awards and getting a lot of success, like you still have these challenges. And in the beginning, there were 50 things that could have killed us, but, um, we were wildly persistent and, you know, the hard thing about persistence, right? Is that, um, persistence and, and sort of you know, stupidity sometimes look very similar. And so when you're in the trenches, it can be really hard to tell, you know, is this a sign from the universe that I should stop, that I should give up, that this isn't meant to be. And for us, I think the biggest, um, the, the biggest difference and the reason that we were able to keep going was that we looked at all of these obstacles and this feedback and the, the the sort of negative and positive reinforcement we were getting, and we said, who is it coming from? Because the people that are your core potential users, when someone who should be a, a user tells me, oh, you need to fix this, or I would like this, or you know, this is how I experience the site, I really deeply listen to that because those are your your potential customers, your potential users, your community, and their feedback is critically important. When someone who is you know, very much outside of that community, even if they're incredibly successful, they're, you know, they've won a number of awards, they've invested in some amazing companies, when that sort of person looked at us and said, eh, I don't really see this being exciting, I don't think this is a good business, um, you know, I think it's important to listen and, and internalize that as well, but ultimately, at the end of the day, they are not your user. And so we decided to focus on building a product that a group of people loved and engaged with and were passionate about, and worry a little bit less about the powers that be, um, because that was not who we were building for. So persistence is number one. Um, I guess I've, I've sort of given away number two as well. But that's you know having a very um, open communication with the the people, the humans that you're building for, um, and being willing to iterate and to to change and to test based on what they're telling you. So it was never, you know, oh, Catherine has this singular vision in the sky and we will march towards it with, you know, without any rest. Like, it's much more about um, a vision being a feeling, a destination, an ultimate mission, but also allowing the community, your users, and your employees and team to, to add on to that and to change it and to develop it as you grow and as you pick up data. Um, so that's been really tremendous for us. And then finally, I think uh, third has been our willingness to go against the grain. So one example of that is content. We publish career advice that draws in a lot of people to the muse. And when we were starting the company, everyone told me that was a terrible idea. Content was a bad business. It's not scalable. It's hard. It's this, it's that. <laughs> and we just said... But at the very basic, you know, at the very basic level, doesn't it make sense that if you want to attract a group of smart, aspirational, driven people thinking about their careers, that giving them great advice would be a good way to do that? Yeah, that makes sense to me. So we're going to do this, even though you think it's a bad idea. And that has been one of many of these little unconventional keys to our growth and to our success that allowed us to get that community and get that data um, to, to sort of turn the tide when we were, when we were seeking funding early on.
0: Well, I mean, great, great advice, certainly for entrepreneurs, but really anyone, especially, you know, all of us who get sensitive to feedback. I mean, one thing you really need to do is who is giving you that feedback. And, uh, you know, that can help, um, you know, uh, inform how closely we we need to listen to it. So before we wrap up, I like to challenge our listeners to become a little bit better every single day. So, Catherine, do you have a challenge or something we could try out today uh, at work or at home?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I have something I've been trying out personally that I really love. And so what I would challenge people to do is to sit down somewhere quiet, uh, pull out a piece of paper, ideally pen and paper, although, you know, if you're if you're wedded to your digital device, <laughs> sure, try that as well. Um, and write out one year from today, write out the date on the top, um, you know, 2018, one year from today, what do you want your day to look like? Um, Assume it's a work day because that's just generally the best way for this exercise to work. But what tasks do you want to be doing? What responsibility do you want to have? Where do you want to be uh, doing things you're currently doing? And where do you want to have passed off or moved on from certain uh, tasks, responsibilities? And how do you want to be? Spending your time. I think that it can be so easy to get in the rut of, you know, you wake up, you do the things on your list, you know, you, you, you attend your meetings, you're slave to your calendar and your inbox. But I find it really helpful to write that out one year from today and then think about what you might need to do between now and then to achieve that.
0: Wow, that is uh powerful. That's a great gift. And I'm gonna try that as soon as we're done with this interview. <laughs> I love that, Catherine. So, what's the best way our listeners can find out more about you and the Muse?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, a couple ways. Um, our website is just themuse.com. We have thousands of articles, um, free classes. There's, um, you know, job listings, uh, coaches and career experts you can speak to. Anyway, you know, for people that, that haven't heard of The Muse, it's, it's sort of everything <laughs> you might need to know to navigate and succeed in your career. So that's just TheMuse.com. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Daily Muse. Mine personally is at K M I N. So we would love for people to tweet at me. And then obviously it would be, um, it would it mean so much if people would pick up the book, The New Rules of Work. Um, my co-founder and I have been working on it for, honestly, probably two, two and a half years at this point. It's amazing how long it takes to put together a book, but I'm so excited about it. And I would love to hear people's thoughts. You know, Send me a tweet, write us a review, whatever it is. Um, this is sort of I think that, that we are still just in the beginning with the muse. There's still so many things we haven't done. We haven't covered, we haven't built. And so, you know, as I was saying before, it's the feedback from people in our community that, that drives us. And I would love to hear um, from everybody listening to this podcast who has something to say.
0: Wow, that's great. All right, friends, you've just been mentored by CEO Catherine Minshew. Don't forget, you can get all the links mentioned and the notes from this interview over at leadx.org. You can get Catherine's book from Amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. And LeadX Nation, one big favor I need to ask. Please subscribe to this show. Leave a short, honest review over on iTunes. If I read your review on the air, we will thank you with a free T-shirt or other swag. And let me know when you leave a review. You, send me an email and we'll invite you into our ambassador group on Facebook. We give away all kinds of prizes. So leave a short review and then just email me at kevinleadx.org. At Finally, until next time, friends, remember leadership isn't about your title, it's about influence. We are all leaders every day. How will you lead today?